How, how many of you plan for months when it comes to taking a vacation? Anybody besides me? And the planning, I've got to be honest, the planning is as much fun for me as uh, almost the vacation itself. And so you plan for months, you figure out exactly what we're going to do, and then you actually, the day comes, you take the trip, but then you come to that last day of the vacation, and you can't even enjoy it because you're already depressed about having to leave. Anybody know that feeling? Well, that's exactly what I'm feeling this morning. We have spent months planning for, thinking about this platform series, and today is the last day of vacation. Today is the day that it ends. You know, sometimes I think, oh, I'm the only one that really enjoys this. But my wife, I don't know if she was just trying to encourage me or what. But this morning before I left, she said, she said, wow, that series was too short. I'm like, I know. I would love to talk about this stuff every single Sunday. But apparently there's other things in the Bible that we should cover. So um, we're, we're going to do that. But let me just a little bit of a recap and then we'll jump straight into this closing uh, message from the platform series. We said day one that all of life is meant to be sacred, which means um, your vocation is sacred. And whatever it is you do, that all 168 hours in your week and in my week, they're actually meant to be sacred. And, and week two, we said we need to receive the gifts that God has given us and we need to steward them or invest them well. I gave you this statement, whatever God puts in you, he wants to bring up out of you into the world. And then last week we said there are so many things that your platform can do for you, but there are some things your platform will never ever be able to do for you. Your platform, no matter how significant it is, it cannot give you the identity that is secure and it will not serve as a substitute God adequately in your life. And we said, be careful, be careful, because some of us, we're starting to see our platforms expand. And we said, sometimes what happens as your platform grows larger, it can become God in your life, or it can become so significant that you actually think that you might be God. Today, I want to close out by asking this question. Why does God give us a platform? No matter how big or small yours is, no matter what stage you're at in your vocation or your career or your family or your faith or how old or young you might be, why does God give us a platform? And the question that I think people have had to ask or at least should have asked all throughout history is this question. And it's a question I want you to ask today. What is the purpose of my platform? What is the purpose of my Platform, And I'm not asking us to ask this question because I don't think we've ever thought about what the purpose is, but I am convinced that most of us at some point in time, perhaps even today, we don't understand the actual purpose of our platform. And so that's what I want to talk about today. What is the purpose of my platform? What is the purpose of your platform? There are a couple of stories that come to my mind, and we're not going to have them as our main text, but I think about Esther in the Old Testament scriptures. Esther had really been in obscurity, and then she wins the favor of some individuals, and she ends up becoming queen in Persia. And during the time that she's queen in Persia, the, the king signs off on an edict that all of the Jews in the entire land are going to be murdered. The only problem with this is that Esther happens to be a... Yeah, she happens to be a Jew. And she's got to decide at this moment, okay, Esther, you have this amazing platform. Is your amazing platform all about you having an amazing platform or is there more to the story of your platform? And I always want you to think, 
when you see the purpose of your platform on the surface, I always want you to think this, and I want to think this. My purpose isn't just to be the pastor and do all these things at Epic Church. There's always more to the story of our platform. And so luckily for Esther and all of these Jews who are going to be murdered, she has a relative named Mordecai who's a wise person who has been advising her throughout her life. And Mordecai says this, Esther, listen, listen, listen. Your platform, uh, you being queen, isn't just about you being queen. She says th- uh, he says this to her. Who knows but that you've been given this position or for this series, this platform for such a time as this. Go to the king, not just make your position about your position. Leverage your position for the sake of your people. And she goes to the king and the, the king could have killed her in that moment. She literally risked her physical life, goes to the king and she leverages her position and all of the Jews who were going to be murdered are spared on that day. She realized that her purpose of her platform wasn't just to make her queen. It was to leverage her position as queen for the sake of others. I think about Joseph also in the Old Testament scriptures in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. Joseph has a father named Jacob. Joseph, one day when he's young, he has a dream. And in his dream, he discovers that he's going to have a platform that's a lot taller than all of his brother's platforms. And if you know anything about sibling rivalry, anybody have a sibling? Just raise your hand if you have a sibling. So you know everything about sibling rivalries. There are some things you should just keep to yourself. Joseph does, and he tells his brothers what's going to happen. Out of their jealousy, they sell him into slavery, and they go back and make their father Jacob believe that Joseph is dead. Well, it gets worse from there. Joseph is put in charge of Potiphar's household as kind of the lead servant in Potiphar's household. And Potiphar's away on a trip. And during that time, Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph to do some inappropriate things with her. He keeps his innocence, but she says that he's guilty of that actual thing she tried to get him to do. And so now he's in prison. While in prison, he interprets some dreams. And then, however, he gets forgotten by those people that he helped until one day. Till one day, he's finally given his platform. And it's a significant platform. Joseph becomes second in all of Egypt. The only person with the platform more significant than Joseph in all of Egypt is the, is the Pharaoh. There's a drought in the land. His brothers go to buy grain. They have no clue that it's Joseph. And Joseph has to make a decision in this moment. Not only will my platform only be about my platform, but will I use, which we've seen people do this, will I use my platform to enact revenge? Will I use my platform to put other people in their place who treated me a certain way before I had this platform? Instead, Joseph leverages his position as second in all of Egypt, and he provides everything that his family needs to eat. And eventually, they discover that it's Joseph. So all throughout the scriptures, but also all throughout history, people have had to ask the question, what's the purpose of my platform? And I want to ask you, what are you doing with your platform? What are you doing with your platform? I don't care what your coworkers doing. I don't care what the person beside you today is doing. What are you doing with your platform? What's the motivation behind your personal vocation or the platform, however small or large, that God has given you? What's your motivation? And your motivation, no matter what the size of your platform is, it can be all about you or it can be about serving other people. You can be a mom of two kids or a dad of two kids and you 
think that for right now, like that's the main motivation and calling that God's given to you. Um, but your personal motivation could, even with two kids, you're like, that's such a noble thing to bring children in the world and to raise them and to sacrifice. But you know, you can even make your parenting all about you or serving other people. If you're a top executive at a corporation, a large company, you can make your entire vocation and platform about your perks, your wealth, your power, your privilege, or you can leverage the role that God has assigned to you for this season and make it all about serving other people, serving hundreds or maybe thousands of employees in your company, as well as your clients and your customers. Again, what's your motivation? Here's the dangerous thing about motivation. This is super dangerous. The dangerous thing about motivation is that no one else most of the time can see our motivation. And what's even more dangerous about motivation is that sometimes we even deceive ourselves into what our motivation is. Some of us think if we pursue a certain kind of career, everyone will know that we're there to serve. But just because your career is a service-oriented career, that doesn't mean that's what your motivation is. Right. And leading this church, I can be so glad that you guys think that I'm just pouring myself out for the life of epic church community. And yet my intentions could be all about me, 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 me. And so it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? There's a book called Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. I commend it to everyone. I've taken uh, groups through it. I've taken leaders through it. It's written in the 1960s by a man who used to oversee a missionary enterprise in China. And he has so many great things. But one of his quotes that I like around this idea of motivation, he says, Desiring to excel is not a sin. Desiring to excel is not a sin. He he says, "It, It is motivation that determines ambition's character. Desiring to do your best, your ambition, that's not in and of itself a sinful thing. It is your motivation. It it is always your motivation that determines ambition's character. So let me ask you a question. Is ambition a good thing or a bad thing? Is ambition something that we should embrace Monday through Friday, but renounce on Sundays? I hope not. We've said week one, right? Whatever is true in this environment, it should be true in every other environment you exist in. And so maybe we should think about how good or bad ambition is by asking this question. What is your ambition for? Or to ask it a better way, who is your ambition for? I want to turn to a text in Philippians chapter 2 for our text. I want to ask you to stand with me as you turn there or you just go to your nice little app. Again, I told you last week, now that you've got all my notes, I can't deviate. But then I said, yes, I can. The Apostle Paul started the church at Philippi, really in the home of a woman named Lydia. Her story shows up in Acts 16. It's it's, It's an amazing story. But Paul would start these churches, and then he would write letters back to these churches. And he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi, what is Philippians in our Bibles. And what's fascinating about this is that Paul is sitting in prison writing these words, and yet the theme of this entire letter is joy. And in a moment, you're going to hear Paul talk about what our ambition should be for. 
But if you don't have a church background, you might not know this guy, Paul, and what he was about. And what I want you to know before we read this is that he perhaps, outside of Jesus, I'm going to advocate for, perhaps Paul may have been the most ambitious person who lived in the first century, at least from a church perspective. He may have been the most ambitious. So just keep that in mind. We're not talking about a passive pushover. We're not talking about a guy in mediocrity. We're not talking about a guy that didn't try to give his best. We're talking about one of the most ambitious people. And here's what he says in chapter 2, 3 and four. Not all three chapters, just chapter two, verses three and four. Like, I better have a seat. He writes from his prison cell, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. You can have a seat. If I'm sitting in prison, or let's be honest, for most of us, if we're sitting anywhere, anywhere, our thoughts are predominantly about ourselves, are they not? And he's got to be thinking, God, I, I did what you called me to do, and I'm sitting here, but he doesn't think that at all. As you go through Philippians chapter 2, he ends up writing this hymn, and he's talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And, and in this section, he's advocating us living the way that Jesus lived. So he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. And everybody's like, guilty? Anybody besides me? I know I've looked at this more than you have this week, but anybody like, uh, nothing? Then I just, I just hope that one day I can do one thing that's not out of selfish ambition. He says, rather, or instead, in humility. We talked about humility last week. Again, I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the previous three talks that we've done in this series, go back and watch them. This platform series has been watched and listened to more than any series in the history of Epic Church. And so let me encourage you, always go back. They're on our website, on our podcast. But we said last week that you can lean towards pride or humility, but if you're going to put others above yourself, you will only be able to do that with humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves. Now, what's interesting about platforms and this idea that he's giving us is when we have a platform that keeps getting taller and taller and taller, there are a lot more people beneath our platform. Does that make sense? Right? So like if this stage literally, which I'm told it's going to do in a few weeks, if this stage is raised, all of a sudden you're even lower than I am. And as your platform increases, there are more people that are lower than you. And Paul is saying, no matter who you are, no matter how big your platform gets to, I want you to treat those people who, when the world thinks about them, they're beneath you, but you're going to treat them like they're above you. And if you are treating people below you, like they're above you, that is going to stand out in the world. It's not surprising for people to treat people above them like they're above them. It's not surprising to treat people at your company who are below bosses like they're below the bosses, but it very much stands out in our culture when someone above you treats you like you're above them. That will stand out. That will play, won't it? That will grab attention, will it not? And I've had these kind of conversations with so many of you when we begin. It doesn't like, we don't need to apologize for our position, but we do get to determine how we treat those that are in positions beneath us. We do. And then he says, listen, do nothing out of just your own interests. Become interested in the lives of everyone else. 
I've been thinking about a lot of things lately, and one of the things that I just know from research, um, it's everywhere, that anxiety in our world, and especially in this country, it's never been at a higher level. It's never been at a higher level. The level of anxiety that many of us deal with uh, was reserved for people that were actually psychiatric patients back in the day. I heard that on a podcast just this week. And Time Magazine in the last year did an entire thing all about anxiety, especially related to teenagers. And I, I think there are a few reasons why that's the case. We live in this technology world where social media allows us to know what my score is and everything and know what your score is and everything. And so we have that going on. And, and then there's these chronic, just actual health issues. But I want to give you one reason that I think anxiety is at a higher level than it's ever been in history. I think it's because self-interest is at a higher level than it's ever been in history. It just, I just believe that. And, and it's not always, and it's not just that I'm interested in my success. If I'm not doing well, I don't feel good about myself, but I'm still thinking all about my self. Self-absorption and self-interest is going to rob us of what could be. So when you begin to treat people like this, it's not just going to make a difference for them. It's going to free you and I in some ways we have not experienced yet. I believe that. And again, Paul is so ambitious. I'm going to tell you, uh, in all of history, and certainly in the scriptures, I think the two most ambitious people I see are Paul and Jesus. Paul and Jesus. So let's figure out, what did good ambition for these two look like? Jesus, one day after he had changed the life of the woman at the well, his disciples, remember, they had gone out to buy some food, and they came back, and they're like, Jesus, you've got to eat. And he said this in John 4, 34. My food, what gives me nourishment, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's like, this is what I'm about. Quite ambitious, right? You, you, you know you're ambitious when you're skipping meals. Hopefully I can not skip a meal and stay ambitious because I don't remember one missed. Paul, in Acts chapter 20, he's being warned. Paul, if you keep moving forward on this missionary journey, you're going to perhaps lose your life. Paul's like, well, you need to know what my ambition's for. Here's what he says. 2024 of Acts. However, Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, my only ambition is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Remember, I said the only way to know if your ambition is good or bad is to ask what it's for. But even better is to ask, who is my ambition for? And don't miss something that's going on with Jesus and Paul. Let's not just skip straight to, oh, their ambition was to help people. We will get there. For both of them, their ambition, they were passionate. They were deeply committed to doing what God wanted them to do, first and foremost. Their ambition, before it was for other people, it was for God. They were ambitious to do what he created them to do. Remember week one? No, you don't. I know. You've slept since then. Ephesians 2.10, we said, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. And Jesus and Paul are going, hey, we are over the top ambitious for that. But here's what you need to know. If you get ambitious for God's will, God is never going to have a will for you that's going to make your platform all about you. Never. If you want to know, Ben, I'm just trying to figure out God's will. Ask, just start with the self-diagnostic question. Is my ambition and my platform and my vocation, is it really all about me? If so, the answer is no, you're not in the middle of God's will. Not, not a one of us are in the middle of God's will if it's all about us. And so these guys are crazy ambitious and they use their platform, they use their position, and they use their entire lives to leverage them for the sake of other people. Thomas Merton, in his book, No Man is an Island, said this, All vocations, 
All vocations. So wherever you think yours is, all vocations are intended by God to manifest his love in the world. Now, some of our positions are obvious, right? If you're a social worker, it's perhaps obvious. If you're a public school teacher, maybe it's obvious. If you're a software engineer, not so obvious. True? And so you may have to get creative, get some men and women in this community around you and go, hey, what would it look like as of this, my vocation, my position, my platform, what would it look like to manifest the love of God into the world that I live in? Be a great question to ask. Tim Keller in his Faith and Workbook, Every Good Endeavor, helps us with this. He says, the question must now be, how, with my existing abilities and opportunities, can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing what I do of God's will and human need? It's a great question, isn't it? I had this quote, but I removed it. That's why it's not in your notes because I needed to shorten the message this week. But Frederick Beekner has a great quote about how maybe the intersection of our vocation comes at the middle place, the intersection of, of where like our deep joy and the world's greatest need comes together. Keller's saying, hey, what have you been given? What could the world use? That may be an obvious place to start. I want to ask you, is your ambition, is your ambition about gaining a position for yourself or leveraging your position to serve others. I want, you, I want you to think about this for a moment. Is your ambition about gaining a position for yourself or leveraging your position to serve others? Today, not only are we wrapping up our platform series, we also happen to be wrapping up the platform episode. So uh, watch, watch this final episode from the platform series. Bill Hybels writes about the holy discontent. Uh, this, this is the, the thing that, that God has put deep into your heart that, that irks you or that bugs you, that you, you want to work on because, because God's put it there in your heart to, for you to work on it. So ambition to solve those kinds of problems, ambition in that way is absolutely good. I think you have to look at uh, what, what is the source of your ambition. Do you see God's character in it? Do you see that loving and serving uh, others-focused posture in, in your ambition? If so, that's probably the, on the right track. If you see the fruit of the Spirit of your, in your ambition, you're probably on the right track. My thought of ambition is determination to achieve a goal. So I've always kind of looked at ambition as could be good or bad depending on where we place our ambition what is our goal for me my goal has never been to make partner it's a gift from god and i i thank him every day for it but that's never been my goal in my life it's always been do the best i can because i know we're working for god not for humans and if god bless me with promotion and get me to a job where or to a level where he thinks that i can benefit his kingdom i just thank him for it and that's i guess my ambition but i i guess never thought of it as an ambition <laughs> thinking if jesus had my background and skills and education and worked at this company how would he live jesus was a hard worker and i think he's called us to work hard as well he's eager and he's present and i just want to be a faithfully present here at work and he's loving and gracious and kind and I want to um, be loving and gracious and kind towards coworkers as well.
So the platform God has given me, that I see, and maybe there are others that God's given me that I haven't discovered, but the two that I see, one is through workplace about um, mentoring staff and just be their coach and then build trust from that perspective. And um, But the other platform which has became obvious that God used me through is through my Chinese heritage that I'm serving the Chinese community and through that I've had people where I met their daughters are here um, met in China and their daughters are here studying they asked me to take watch after them or um, Chinese interns that come through the firm or through school where their friends know about me and they want to go into accounting. I mean, so that kind of platform got allowed me to start a small group where we gathered at my place once a week. What really is fulfilling has been where when some of these young ladies, watching some of the young ladies getting baptized and for them to come back and say how um, their lives changed, not because of me, but, you know, through God's hands in their life, it's just more fulfilling than getting a new client um, and knowing that there is one more person that now knows God and will be in God's kingdom. One of the main um, things that I see amongst moms is isolation um, and feeling like they don't matter. And so um, walking alongside them and just being their cheerleader and being their encourager and reminding them of that, but then also reminding them of God's promises and how he wants them to lean into this season. I feel so passionate about people not missing where they're at. And so many moms especially are missing where God has them and I see so many moms that God has gifted in so many different ways and so if I can be a part of them coming out of feeling like I should be doing something else and and leaning in more then they'll see the fruit of it they just have to lean in and and that's honestly the main reason why do mom's groups. After moving here, I got connected with some other believers um, who are part of a Christian nonprofit that's composed of designers and developers and PMs. And we use our skills to help serve other um, Christian nonprofit ministries, providing technical expertise, whether it's building websites or apps for them. And it's really been cool seeing the impact that's had, um, being able to serve ministries in Sweden and help spread the gospel through a scripture app that's being distributed in China now as well. The second company I started, I had huge ambitions for the impact that it would have, the influence that it could have on society, on the world, millions of people, etc., etc. Normal entrepreneurial yearnings. And even though that didn't, that company ended up not achieving commercial success, I received an email from one of the, the the wife of one of the early employees of that company, two months after we'd kind of shut it all down. And, um, and she was thanking me for how much her husband had been changed in the process of working with us for two years. And to me, like, I, I hadn't thought about influence in that way or my platform in that way. I, you know, I built this company to have a, this huge influence and this huge platform for the world. Um, but to recognize that in, in the course of those few years, it was just the few lives that I interacted with that were touched. It was an investor who came to know Jesus as part of being involved in, in our company. So we, we just have to be careful when we're imagining what our platform could be 
um, to make sure that we submit that to what God's will in the situation is because we don't necessarily know what the impact of our platform will be. So strong, so strong. Thanks to Brett and Eugenia and Rachel and Ben for teaching us all throughout this series. Grateful for that. There was a day when a couple of Jesus' disciples were pining for position in the kingdom. And um, as they're doing that, he's going to do something. I'm going to invite us just to picture something for a moment. I want to invite us just to picture that Jesus is present with us. For starters, I think that he is. Uh, so that would be one good reason to picture him present with us. But I want you to picture him up here, essentially recognizing that every one of us in this room at some point in our lives, probably even right now, like we want a position, right? Can we just all admit that? Like we want a position or we want in our position for it to be significant. Can everybody admit that? Great. Jesus, just talk to the ones with their hands up because the others are good. Um, so his disciples approach him about this position. And in Mark 10, 42 through 45, he's going to bring them together. And I want us, Epic Church, nine o'clock gathering right here to imagine that we've just told him, Jesus, we really want something significant. We, we want to have this place. We want to have that place. We want to have influence. And I want you to imagine him gathering us together just like he does with them. And picture these words. Jesus called them together. And said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lord it over them. Think about platform. And their high officials, think about platform, exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, Jesus, you saw those hands, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you just imagine he's bringing us together and going, hey, I know how it works out there. I know Silicon Valley. I know the partnership thing. I know what it's like to raise kids and how every other parent's thinking about success as a parent. I know how it works out there. I'm not asking you to do it like they do it out there. Don't you go to a church where your vision statement is that you want to orient your entire life around Jesus. This is what it looks like to do it. They do it all of these ways out there with their platforms. Not so with you or you or you or you or you or you or me. We're going to do it differently. And that's what will make the difference. It will make the difference in the world. It will also get us to the place we talked about in week two. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come share your master's happiness. But as you help others and you accomplish God's will, there's going to be freedom come to you and joy come to you. Paul wrote about joy while he's in prison. And he writes about being poured out like a drink offering in other places. What's your ambition for? And I wonder, maybe we should think about this idea that Jesus did. And maybe we should think about how it's been done for us, and then maybe we should do this. What if we could use our platforms to create platforms for others? Isn't that what Jesus does with his disciples? Not because they were amazing. May 26, it will be eight years since the moving truck rolled in for our family, which is crazy. Before that, I was a teaching pastor in the Midwest. And I had not been there long, to be honest, when Shauna and I felt like God was leading us to San Francisco to start a church. And at that time, we had about a year and a half before we moved because there's so much legwork to do and prep work to do before we moved out here. And I'll never forget going to my senior pastor and letting him know that we thought we needed to move to San Francisco. So I'm in his office. He's behind a big desk. You know, back there, when you're not in the urban setting, you got a big desk. 
big office. I'm not jealous. No regret. I love my 77 square feet. Seriously. I used to work in the kids' room. I love my 77 square feet that I can close off. And I told him. And to be honest, he could have fired me right then because they need to move along and hire someone to replace me that wants to be there. He could have been very upset. He could have said, even Ben, that's good for you and your family, but you know how busy I am. Senior pastor, church of 2,500 people, huge staff that he led, all kinds of influence and opportunities. Instead, you know what he said? He said to me, Ben, the way that I see it, there's about 500 days between today and the day you move to San Francisco. And I'm going to try to do one thing every one of those 500 days to help you guys out. Create a platform. He flew out here with me to pray over Soma and Mission Bay. He let me do all my prospectus printing there at the church. He allowed me to take time off without having to be vacation to go and raise funds and build a team and all of those things. He flew out here with a lot of other pastors and told them they needed to consider giving. He said, whatever you thought you would give to Epic Church to help it get started, I want you to double that number or pray about doubling that number. And then he led his church to give us $150,000. And he served on the initial board of directors here at Epic Church. But let me tell you where that started. The way I got to that church in the Midwest, I had been leading a college ministry And the church in the Midwest thought that they needed to start a new kind of service at 11 o'clock. But for the church in the Midwest to start a new service at 11 o'clock, it meant that this same senior pastor would have to give up the platform at 11 for this young buck, young at the time. And so he hired me as a 31-year-old, swallowed his pride, sat down and watched me preach at 11 o'clock every Sunday. You don't have your platform because you created it for yourself. Who are you going to create platforms for? Drop the self-interest. It's not healthy for you. It's certainly not making the world a better place. When I get in my own head and stay there, it's not helping me for sure. It's not helping my family. It's not helping the church. It's not helping the team I get to lead. As we wrap this series up, I want to just, I want to speak this prayer and then I want to have you say it with me. And then we'll be done with this platform series. Here's what we're going to pray together in just a moment. If anyone who's willing to, God, You have a calling on my life. You have given me a significant platform, but it isn't just for me. Use the platform you have given me to serve many people throughout my lifetime. All who want in on this prayer, let's pray this together. God, you have given a calling. Sorry, let's start over. Let's start. Let's start. Man, see, when you're so low, it doesn't matter what you say. Let's start again. I'm going to read it, not try to go off the cuff. God, you have a calling on my life. You have given me a significant platform, but it isn't just for me. Use the platform you have given me to serve many people throughout my lifetime. May it be. I want to ask you to pray with me as you just consider your own platform. And again, in this series, we've said we want to redefine significant platform in a different way than the world defines it. Jesus wanted us to redefine position in a different way than the world defines it. For you, can you get content with what God's given you? Will you steward and invest well what he's given you in this season? And if God wants to expand it, don't be afraid of that. Just be cautious. And then who or what is your ambition going to be for? God, thank you for what you've done throughout this series. I pray you will use these things moving forward year after year after year. God, would you free us from selfish ambition? 
It doesn't help us orient our lives around you. <laughs> it doesn't make us better family members or friends or bosses or coworkers or employees. It doesn't make us better volunteers at Epic Church. And then, God, it robs us of the freedom and joy that could be ours. So I pray, God, that if we would have the right motivation, would you give every person in this room, only with the right motivation, massive ambition? We're in a city with almost a million people. Very small percentage know you, Jesus. And through our work and through our words and through our neighboring, would you help us to be the kind of people who love and who serve and quit making our platforms about us having this cool platform and make our platforms about leveraging the opportunity to bless and to serve and to influence. God, our church would look different. Our homes would look different. Our places of work would look different. God, may we not get so consumed with ourselves. May we take up an interest in other people. And think in every situation, God, starting with the Uber ride over to church this morning, how can I serve this driver? As we go to the baseball field this afternoon, how do I serve my teammates? So we have friends over who know nothing about you or who are going through tragedy. How do we bless them? God, as we think about the privileges we get, tickets to a ball game, opportunity for a restaurant gift card, who could we serve with those blessings? Help us to leverage what you've given us for your sake and to serve this world just like you did, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. And as Brad leads us, I want you to make this your prayer. It's all about what are you going to build your life on. And there's going to be this part in the song that talks about how we are called to spread his love to others as we build our life on his love. Let's, let's sing.